0: Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Z1 Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. I have had a lot of things on my mind lately, Uh, namely the future of this podcast, but also the futures of the myriad of other responsibilities in my life. I have been taking some amazing Zoom classes lately and reading some dense theory stuff that I probably only understand a small portion of. In other news, China did open up its visa process to Europe and parts of Asia. The U.S. still is a no, but Given that they're opening things up region by region, I just may be able to get back before classes start and can avoid the whole remote teaching while in a 12-hour time zone difference. Of course, it's hard to predict the future right now for everyone, and I'm still just grateful I even have a job. So I'll keep you all posted about that. For today, I have the wonderful Emily Liu, a poet I met in Vermont last January. Emily was born in Nanjing, China, before she and her family moved to Canada. Emily got her Bachelor's of Science at the University of Toronto and her MD at Queen's University. She is currently finishing up her residency training in psychiatry while she continues to write poetry. This tension of being both a psychiatrist and a poet is one we talk about in our discussion, along with Emily's thoughts on translations her experiences growing up in Canada, and finding confidence in the unknown. Emily ends our chat with a very lovely reading of one of her poems. So hopefully you can stick to the end and hear her read it out loud. As always, stay safe and healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. Uh, So right now I'm talking with Emily Liu and we are on our last day here in this residency and people are packing up and i met emily sort of later like she came for the 2 week period i was here for the 4 week period so she came the second week and but yeah i was eventually able to like chat with emily for a bit and i'm really excited to talk with her thank you for coming
1: thank you for having me yes
0: yeah, so do you want to talk a bit about Your background, where you came from, you had a long and winding journey, I think, right? To Vermont? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Sure, I think you're asking me two questions, maybe like how I got to Vermont and then like the, where I came from, which I think for most diaspora people is quite loaded. So I'll try to answer the first one first. So I was born in Nanjing, it's a city kind of on the coast, close to Shanghai. Yeah, And I haven't uh, been there yet. (laughs) <laughs> maybe one day I will, I want to okay good. I was in
0: Shanghai already and people were like you should go to check out Nanjing we should talk
1: yeah so I was born there then my mom was kind of like the breadwinner of my, my family so she like went when she was younger than me now she came by herself to do post, postgraduate studies she
0: was a breadwinner what did she do?
1: Uh, she was uh, like she's a doctor okay so she came to do her postgraduate studies at the University of Toronto by herself and uh, I don't think I don't understand exactly what was going on through her mind at that time, but I don't think she had, She came with the intention of wanting to stay. But you know, I think things felt okay enough. So then I think a year later, my dad immigrated, and then a year after that, I came.
0: So you are already born?
1: I was already born. I was <laughs> seven. Seven. When I came to Toronto.
0: And how many years was your mom in Toronto before you uh,
1: maybe came? Maybe like two years. Oh, wow. So, yeah.
0: Was that stressful? Do you remember Yes, yeah, so I
1: remember um
0: you're probably like why is mom going away yeah
1: so like like, this one makes more context when I talk about what I do later but um like your brain always remembers things much clearer if there's a strong emotion involved so I remember like clearly the emotion was like just like heartbreaking sadness is one of my earliest (laughs) (laughs) marriage it didn't last very long but it was just like I just remember like it was like the morning when they told me my mom was gonna go to somewhere for like a while, and wasn't sure exactly when she would be coming back.
0: Uh-huh. And I was like
1: trying, cr- trying not to cry, but crying like in my <laughs> yeah. bed. And then I think we were like dashing out to like say say goodbye before the taxi came for her. Like I, like I think I remember this of that, and then like going to kindergarten, and, like trying to like look normal, but just like sobbing <laughs> yeah. for a while. But, and then I don't remember anything else. That's one of my yes, but I do remember um, when she. Died. And
0: at the time, you were a single child, right? Because a single mm-hmm. child policy, right? Do so. you have a brother and sister now?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my brother was born in Canada ten years later. Yeah. Yeah,
0: shit. Uh, so so when you were seventeen?
1: No, no, no. Sorry, when I was te- uh, when I was ten. Oh, okay. Was born. Okay, so, so a few sh-
0: years after arriving in Canada.
1: Right. Yeah, a couple more years. So we have a big age gap. I know it's not the hugest, but. Sometimes it feels, like, bigger... Sometimes it feels smaller than it is because we, like, talk about stupid things, dumb things all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: You have a good relationship. And we get along with well, them. but That's also good.
1: because he he has quite a different spectrum of experiences yeah. growing up. Like he them he might, doesn't might speak formative.
0: Chinese at all, right?
1: Not very well. Although he Chinese was his first language as well because my like grandparents were here
0: uh, when
1: he was born. So it was his first language, but he doesn't really speak it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... That is how I got to Toronto, and, and I haven't really left. I haven't left Canada, so to so to speak.
0: And what was that transition like to learn English? Do you remember that?
1: I think I we talked about it when I think the first night we were here in Vermont. Again, like a like a very strong emotion, and I just revisiting that memory. I like more things come to me, but like I'm pretty sure I remember like I was sitting on the carpet in the classroom, and. Um, maybe the best way to describe this is I had always been used to being the, being able to speak uh, the other kids spoke, mm, yeah. being the, like not recognizing that as a seven year old, but sitting on that carpet in like grade two and like, having all the texts in that classroom, which I'm like very used to like uh, reading and understanding, like not understanding like, Any like zero percent yeah. <laughs> and all of the conversations happening around me, like understanding none of it. Yeah. And then my natural, my first reaction like my remember is I don't have to learn any of it why? it sounds very selfish but like everyone I love is at home uh, there's no that's need that's to that's <laughs> connect with anyone here which I don't know if it's like yeah, maybe it's a very main like a mainstream central centralized um selfishness coming up. Like there's no need to, like I am the Did you think mainstream. you were gonna move
0: back to China, is that why?
1: Not really. I was like I was seven. I'm not sure if this was completely <laughs> rational, but okay. at that time it's it seemed to make sense. And I'm not sure maybe it was like a kind of a defense mechanism uh, that I couldn't deal <laughs> with. So um, did
0: you push back against learning English then? No,
1: or? I don't think so. I probably wouldn't have been able to say this or vocalize the rationale for it as well back then, but thinking back, what I probably observed was that like the, this is probably related to like poetry later too, is that like being able to move through North American spaces, white spaces, like neither my parents nor me could do that at that point without English, yeah, like as a kind of a fluency. So I think at some point like I either like unconsciously recognized this I was being, like, the only child and, like, the first child, like, of a, uh, like, an immigrant that, family, yeah. just being, like probably feeling, like, a lot of pressure to excel and to just be good at everything. Yeah. And then lo- being, I guess, lucky or privileged enough to have, like, the, try to f- meet those really unrealistic expectations yeah. of, like, adapting immediately, learning immediately.
0: Yeah.
1: But the next, the next memory I have, of like, related to language is, like, just me, like, Thinking by myself before I go to bed, which just like thinking in Chinese, like, oh, I should probably like pay attention to when, how, like what language I think in. Cause it's like a little confusing. Well,
0: what language do you think in? Uh, make- right now
1: it's probably, it's definitely English. Okay. Um, of course I didn't remember. I have no idea, <laughs> no memory of the transition, but my next thoughts I think were like in English. And I was like, oh, when did that happen? Like, and yeah. I don't remember exactly when it happened.
0: I know like when I see my mom on the telephone, if someone tells her a phone number or, like, some numbers, I see her mouth the Chinese and do that translation into the English characters. Mm. Which is, like, even if they're saying it into an English, I think there's, like, this translation happening where she, like, hears it in English, but then she still, like, mouths it in Chinese and then tra- retranslates it into right. into an English. That's so
1: interesting because I think that binary of, like, what language do you think in is, is too um, simple. Because I feel like for me... Mandarin will always have, like, a certain intimacy. Yeah. Like, I'll have it with it that is, like, different from English. Like, the act of translation is also interesting, too, because, like, growing up, like, I was very used to being in that third space where I could just translate for people back and forth. And if I could do that, like, physically, but yeah. also, like, in my mind, it felt like I was pretty proud of that. Like, yeah. I could just do it Like, seemingly you, could tra- you could
0: translate for your absolutely. parents and yeah. for your parents to someone else. It kind yeah. of Yeah.
1: I'm um, Not always done, but, like, even if, like, traveling, like, a tourist yeah. in China, I could, like, do both and just, like... Yeah. It's a good skill. Yeah.
0: I can't even imagine my but, language like, skills your, getting to that level. In
1: your brain, just, like, just, like, kind of things fall into place. Yeah. And then you can... Uh, yeah. But what, what you're saying with, like, numbers, yeah, like, sometimes I do math in, in, in uh, Mandarin. Oh, you it makes, do? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, just... Yeah, but I don't have to do too much math anymore, so <laughs> it
0: doesn't. Yeah, so how did you get into poetry? Were you always writing? Were you...
1: Um, I went to study science. Um,
0: so you did do math for a while. <laughs> I
1: did do math for a while. Oh my gosh. Yes, for a while. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but let me backtrack a bit though. To begin, so... I when I was like trying to pick where to go for university or college, I don't think the possibility of doing art was like even in my mind. Your parents
0: it, didn't allow it. Yeah, like yeah. even
1: if it was, I think I would have, like I would have like had to like be struck by lightning, by, like you, know,
0: yeah, like, it wasn't I, practical. I, I couldn't even yeah, yeah. like
1: vocalize or imagine it because that, So I I already like eliminated it for myself, yeah. but not to like easily like antagonize or like say like blame anyone for that kind of decision. I think like the the immigrant diasporic pushes always for your children to like go into yeah. illustrious well, I, mean, I mean I
0: mean I mean technically the parents upended their entire lives mm-hmm. and restarted their lives yeah, for
1: <laughs> for more for, more for their kid and
0: so yeah there's definitely like and they did that In, for a better life Right. usually for the kid
1: intergenerationally like now that I can look back on it like I don't think it's fair to say like you to any like immigrant child Allison growing up that you just because someone else did this for you, like that, yeah. you are compelled to repay this with anything more than like you know being happy and healthy and growing Every up. Every <laughs> grandparent
0: is gonna like yeah. Get. But
1: like I was like I don't know like I am trying to think back. My, my mindset at the time I was quite risk averse and I didn't like saying no to people. And I don't I don't know if exactly that was what happened to like that yeah. kind of direction. But anyway, for better or for worse, I did. Science. science what, at, what kind of science? Uh, bachelor of Science, Pathobiology at the University of Toronto. All right. The lucky thing was that um, you could do. It was like a big enough school that you could do a lot of. It's a huge uh, school. Yeah, liberal yeah. arts stuff. You expected you like finish all your credits that you needed to graduate. You could do a lot of other electives. So I yeah. did a lot of like creative writing, oh. um, English. And you were
0: writing a lot in high school too.
1: A little bit, but again, I also just didn't see people like me that existed yeah. in like those spaces. So I just. And I, I didn't also, I didn't express any interest in, I guess, in, in yeah. pursuing English at a post-secondary yeah. level. So maybe we were just like, <laughs> um, but it was always it was always there. So I think I came back to it more formally, like at the end of college, the like uh, last couple of years. But then I went to medical school. So that is another, I think another took another bit of a detour. But again, these are not as binary or dichotomous as you think, or like completely opposite to like artistic practice, because I feel... The like life experiences and those skills definitely like another marginalized uh, dimension of myself in art because it's not intention to center it in my like day to day life. Yeah, which you know is kind of also very arrogant to be able to say that like oh yes
0: yeah yeah <laughs> especially didn't... for for any of the arts to to say that yeah I'm a poet I'm an artist I'm
1: uh, a... well like I don't mean like that I mean like to. Be privileged enough to be like I. I didn't see that it was possible for me to be an artist, mm. um, but to be privileged enough to say like, but like I wouldn't die. I'll still get paid. I guess doing some other job. But oh yeah, yeah. You mean like <laughs> you're you're mean. still
0: you yeah you're still yeah. you still have a job.
1: This like yeah. Um, always feeling. I guess it comes back to jealousy that not being as like art focused or driven as any of my peers who went directly so what, or like kind of embrace that identity fully on. Yeah, that's funny. That's (laughs) jealous. So what?
0: What was there? Someone you were like looking up to that caused? Mm,
1: Yeah, I just didn't think it was possible. Like, uh,
0: so then what made you switch?
1: So I think as I gained more years, like I definitely like in my reading and other like the internet, Twitter. I think a lot of things like in my early twenties, like things coincided. Like I saw more, I guess more people. I would say my peers and like really do a lot of, like, groundwork, like, establishing space, creating space. Mm-hmm. and not as but, like, just thinking that, like, oh, it's, it's possible. Like, to you find can space, actually yeah. do that. Was um, it hard
0: to find a space for you in, in Toronto? Um,
1: yeah, the, the act of finding space is, like, quite, like, radical and, like, not... Like, I think the way I think, when you say, like, artistic space, I always... Th- I Like, my first thought is always, like, um, physical, like... Mm. Like, are you working in, like, a co-op, yeah, like, other no, art?
0: I, I mean, I, whenever I say that, I mean, like, a yeah. community, a space right. that you feel comfortable in. Mm,
1: that's a good question and probably not a straightforward answer, but, like, definitely trying to go into a little bit of those spaces that are traditionally, like, for example, like, a reading you want, like, a poetry reading someone was someone else was having, but not always being particularly like, belonging in those kind of spaces. And I don't mean just, like, as a kind of, like, imposter syndrome, like, oh, like, I'm not really, I'm just kind of, like... Like, so in my both my things, like, I... I'm a psychiatry resident, so I for a long time I couldn't say like, oh, yes, I am a doctor. Like, it just it sounded like a joke to me uh. for a long time. And then for poet, like I also have a hard time saying it to people, like yeah. introducing myself as like I'm a poet. And so both things, I have this like massive imposter syndrome. Uh. So I'm like, i like, how is it possible that you like do two things, but you have so much imposter syndrome for both of these things? So, but Maybe. I think a lot of
0: people yeah. have feel that, imposter syndrome. Yeah, but maybe it's, syndrome.
1: It, maybe it's good too to like, maybe because it comes from a place of always being not in the spotlight, like from a marginalized perspective. I think I read this somewhere, like knowing that you, like you your marginalized experiences in a way, but like writing about them as if you were the more journey or like uh, channeling it yeah. as if you like it was always the center.
0: Do you write about it a lot in your poems? Mm-hmm.
1: I think it comes through... Well, the nature of a poem is—I think part of it appeals to me because you don't have—you can talk about a lot of difficult things, complicated things that are not necessarily very linear in a way that makes logic to the poem itself. Yeah, I guess my favorite tendencies in a poem is always is to write a line or, or something, but that can speak to different different kinds of meaning there. So, there's definitely a couple of poems I've written about like it's like the idea of theme of diaspora and like home and like what that journey has been like but it's never not I don't think it's ever really explicit and I also think for me the process writing a poem like if there's just if it's about one thing it's not that's not it's not not, that it's not quite enough I just think the poem is more is richer or like the meaning is created better if it can meet Another different tension or different subject or theme, so I feel like a lot of my poems come from like a place of like intersection between either two different ideas or like comparisons in that way. So it w- you would you never f- I don't think you would ever find a poem that I've written that it's like exactly about yeah no. like one thing or like like what I was talking about like writing into being centralized, but I think that's the purpose or intent which I feel like it's when almost you write, like, yeah. uh, like you have to get into a very narcissistic headspace to be like, yes, I am going to write this poem and it's going to be awesome and it's going to matter. And uh,
0: <laughs> Do you get in that space a lot?
1: Uh, <laughs> probably. I hope I don't talk myself up like that before I write a poem. But I feel like you almost need to <laughs> Yeah, you to, have to. You almost That's need a to good, be. That's a good, I never
0: think about that. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think subconsciously I think yeah. about that. Like, you, I guess, I guess, yeah, like in the sense that when I'm making a video that I don't know I'm doing, I, I have somehow enough confidence that the fact yeah. that I don't know how this is going to turn out is going to turn out into something. Right. But then I, I don't know if it would be good but I, I guess I have a certain narcissism to think that it would, something would even happen. Yeah,
1: maybe like that contrast stands out to me more because I before like I never had enough courage to be able to say that th- kind of mm. thing to myself. Yeah. I'd already like before I even started I'd already like shut myself down. Yeah. Um, I just remember like clearly like not a, exactly really a conversation but a friend was telling me that his first book uh, was uh, a memoir and I would, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, memoirs. Like, only, like, white people write those. <laughs> <laughs> like, I but, like, in my mind, I think I had internalized that, like.
0: The well, same I'm, thing about poems, right? Yeah, only like, white people write poems, <laughs> apparently.
1: Because, yeah, like, I just never felt that. Um, well, I you never I, saw it. I had internalized that, like, it wasn't worth it. Like, whatever I had to say about, like, you know, either my life in a memoir or what I had to say to create out of my experiences into a poem, that it would be, like. Yeah, like why Why bother? So, so <laughs> how'd
0: you make that jump then from like, this is not a space or something that I can do to now you are still doing poetry alongside your psychiatry and attending residencies? Because mm. you made the switch. I feel yeah. like if I asked you now, what do you do? You'd <laughs> so say, maybe, you'd probably say, I'm a poet. Yeah. Right? It, and, it, and, seems, and, and psychiatrist. It you'd seems say both.
1: easier to, to say it now. I don't know exactly that switch happen but maybe like similar to what i we were talking about earlier on that it's this i think it's a continuous sustained effort and that probably will be something that i will have to keep trying to do for the rest of my yeah you don't think yeah i I don't think that ever goes away that tension of feeling that Mm. like whatever i'm doing it might not matter at um at all after all but i think something you can practice if you if that like intention is there And maybe it just just came, it took me this long to come back to it, to really be serious with myself about it. And like at the end of the day, like if you're not serious about your own art, then who else will take you? Yeah,
0: I always say that. Yeah. Um, What is your process like when you're writing a poem?
1: Oh, very chaotic. Uh, There is no discipline. I wonder if that's because of my like nonlinear path, like back to poetry several times. I guess when you ask what process, like the natural point to begin is probably like somewhere... At the beginning... And it's really hard to say when a poem begins, but I think this is a question that, they, like, whenever you interview a poet, you can, you like, it's like a favorite question. It's like, how does a poet begin? And I, I love reading different poets' answers of these questions, these versions, whenever they come up, because it's always, like, a little bit different, but always. Also, like, like
0: I know it's a hard ways. question, because it's, don't ask me, how do I <laughs> begin an artwork?
1: Yeah, like, what does the intent, like, does the intention begin first, yeah. or does it, um is it begin somewhere else?
0: Or is it a conversation that you have yeah. with someone? It's hard to tell.
1: It's hard, but I think when I, it's probably easier to say like when you kind of know where like a poem is probably gonna could yeah. probably if you talk in terms of probability, like poems probably could exist here is like when I think that I find a tension that I find is interesting for me to explore. Mm. So I guess trying to think back to the the poems I was writing here in Vermont. so I had an idea for like a long time about calendars and maps and how like, I think this is probably an idea I had like overnight when I was working at a hospital and I was like, is this, a de- is this a little bit of a delirium idea? Is this a really good idea or is it just like my brain? Like, So I had it for a while, but when I was here, I had more time to think about it. So the idea was like that calendars keep track of time, maps like kind of track space, mm-hmm. but then they're also very like colonial objects in that like the calendar that we use is like-
0: Been forced upon, yeah. Yeah,
1: and it's like also very regimented, like yeah. You can almost say it's an oppressive structure yeah. of how we keep track of time. But in a map also like who gets to label, who gets to name, and yeah, what yeah. like what gets determined to be a site of interest. Yeah. So like these were interesting tensions of like can a poem exist sometimes like somewhere or several poems exist somewhere in this space, like where Is
0: that what the boxes were yeah. showed? Okay. <laughs> so yeah.
1: I think for one of Emily, them
0: Emily had a bunch of poems that looked like Well, some of them look like like verb declination or noun declination of like... So
1: actually those were not directly related to that idea, but probably like similar in form. But the one I was thinking about for this example was like when you have a monthly calendar or planner you know, you have like a lot of boxes, like for all the days. So I was trying to use that format, missing some boxes, mm. like some days that were just missing without yeah. really good explanation. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but drawing a map instead of like sites of interest. And then mm. sites of interest is different for everyone. So I'm not sure if this is like one poem or like no poems or like two poems, but like sites of interest for like collective yeah. community. Yeah. Um, like So like historical sites, burial sites, um, like reading sites or yeah. like a person. So, like, you know, the certain places where something important happened to you, where you were saying, like, yeah, like you had a crush on someone or like you, I know something, you cried somewhere. Like, those yeah. places are probably more significant for you. So, I know, still thinking about like that kind of tender. So, yeah. that's when I kind of know where it begins. And then the work is trying to do it. But it's also interesting, like, the verbs, one the verb ones you brought up. So, the verb ones, it was kind of a table, like a very, so something that I would be more familiar with, I guess, in a lot of like my, the discourse and like textbooks and science and stuff, trying to categorize and define things. So the ones that I had, I had one about with nouns. That mm-hmm. was the one I read at the reading, which was easier to write for some reason. It was after another poem by another poet, Frannie Choi, uh, the first poem in her collection, Soft Science. Her poem struck me because it, it made me think beyond like the rigid parameters of what words mean and how mm. they tend to be between each other. So like the first poem to write after that was, was easier, mm. but the verb one, for some reason, um, part of the process. So like I knew kind of from that poem, I, it was seemed like a, it's kind of always a nice feeling when you write one poem, but it like raises a question for you. And you, or you feel like, yeah. yeah. you like, this isn't clear, but I can't get it across the way I want to in this poem. I have to create more space for it in a different poem. Yeah. So that's how the second one came about. But the second one was much harder to write, so I was trying to focus... On verbs, so I was trying to choose like three verbs that would, um, and like kind of play off them in a way that would reflect the themes that come across in my poetry, and it was like harder than I thought because like I picked three verbs, like the ones that first came to me, and then I wrote the draft. And then something about it made me like really uneasy, and I was like, "What?" Well, so I tried to figure out what it was. And then when I went to look back at on on like revision, I just felt like it they weren't like they weren't ethical. Like it, what I couldn't does that mean? like I couldn't.
0: You didn't feel use, like you could use I them. I could use
1: that word in that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then. I What?
0: Well, what's a verb that oh, was so not so ethical? So one one
1: verb I had was to itch.
0: To itch. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I read in um like a review of someone's poetry collection some a critic had written the the something like the amoral heart at the center of metaphor i think what they were saying was like metaphor shouldn't have any like morals or ethics like hmm. you can just be like you can just ignore all of that hmm. but like i'm not sure exactly how i, I felt about the sentence then but like the more i write and i engage with the artistic process the more i like i feel like i personally like i can't take that stance on like poetry like i amorally like their poems can exist as art without thinking about their relationship to the world oh yeah yeah Uh, just like it's a great metaphor but it's terrible because it's like you know it only (laughs) like that word for example to itch i think the idea was to be like uncomfortable in your own skin kind of yeah but then like it has a lot of political sociological like um association with like poverty like bed bugs, <laughs> mm. all those things that I didn't feel like it was ethical for me to mm. bring that into a poem. Maybe some like another poet, but like for me, like it seemed a bit like um,
0: the meanings associated with it. You, I wasn't wrote, ready to yeah, bring to them. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It didn't feel like it belonged to me fully. Yeah. And then the other verbs were like, I realized that they were more like combat driven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, This is another kind of area of metaphor, like in illness and disease, too. It's like you you have a lot of like fighting, attacking, the these kind of metaphors about like war against ourselves, like the illness. So I I rewrote it again, like several times with words I I thought were more (laughs) equal, which is a terrible word, but we'll use that
0: one. yeah. Yeah. Do you write in Chinese?
1: So there, I think like Chinese definitely like forms significant part of my imagination and like the rhythms, if that's a good way to say it. So I guess the best way to describe that would be with Uh an example. Like, so it's very interesting because this idea of translation, I always thought that it meant that you had to be like 100% fluent Uh in a language to be able to like consider the act of translation, especially like literary things that were written in Chinese. Like let's say, so like poetry that was written like a couple hundred years ago by some Chinese poets, like I always felt like that was not going to be accessible for me because I didn't understand. Like, the, like my language skills were not yeah. <laughs> to that par. But then I, there's definitely beauty in partial, partial understanding. So I think I tried to, I try to look into it recently, and I realized I could understand some of it, but not all of it. Yeah. Uh, so not 100. percent. It's like kind of like writing an essay as a sixth grader and like yeah. not understanding exactly what, you, what you're yeah, yeah. talking about. But it was like I thought it was a good metaphor for like like your own attempts yeah. at art. Like, do you ever understand like a hundred percent of what you're gonna do or like what you tend to do or attempts
0: for you, my work?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. just rhetorically.
0: Um, I feel like I'm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm still learning. Yeah. Always.
1: So it was a way to remind me to be humble. So yeah. So like that one like a phrase like my translation of one of those phrases like made its way into a poem I was writing mm. there's something like beautiful about the act of not echoing but uh, like it's a conversation you're having with someone that lived before your time
0: yeah
1: like that i think that what it reminds me of is like that there's a there's a canadian indigenous uh musician who did something similar. he went to like the art canadian archives and then he had like a recording of like someone from his community like from 100 years ago and he incorporated it into his new music uh his name is jeremy dutcher and so I kind of like to think of it as that, it's like an old voice can mm, find a yeah. new voice yeah. translated, and yeah. because the languages are so different, it's basically. I mean, you definitely like put in footnote, but yeah. it's definitely like almost different. Like, your yeah. is it really transformation or is it like completely different? Um, so that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, and then other the other part how it come through is like the nature of like the word, the way r- words are written. I think it's so interesting that like certain words were made of up of, of like different components. So I'll try to like sneak in I think sometimes it, like it helps me see the meaning of words from a different perspective. Yeah. And then my own personal favorite is always translations no one asked for like just a really bad translation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, that this is like your own. This, this is something own. you do. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right.
1: like so. Like I'll have a word, and I'm like trying to translate it, or try to like put it to words, or like write a poem or struggle with it. Like this concept that doesn't exist in English or yeah. otherwise, and it's just like a really bad translation. <laughs> but it's so bad that like it has new meaning.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and then maybe no one will ever.
0: Do you publish these translations? What are these translations? No, about?
1: no, no. Like just like of a word. So like it'll uh, be within the context of another work. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. But it's like like a little kind of like like a kind of a graffiti and, and by this, myself. And this sort
0: of enters your own poems. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Like one example, it, so I wrote like you know the micro seasons. Um, I guess they are more probably you no know, in, but the, in, in the Japan. Lu- in, in the lunar, yeah, uh, s- yeah but like, in the yeah in the calendar, there's like twenty four of them, and they have like Chinese names yeah, and yeah. stuff. But the yeah, or on what country you're in, um, Japanese names. But like the word to describe them, I think in like in Japanese I looked this up, it was like Seki, like S-E-K-K-I. Mm-hmm. And in Chinese it's J Chi, which is like two words. So I was trying to translate Ji from in Chinese back. to yeah. um English. Not that it was like necessary for the poem itself. It was just it was just a framework to write a different word. Um, but it's just like playing around with it in my mind. And like one of the be- the worst translations I came up with was festival air. <laughs> and I'm like what does that mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. That's fine. But, right. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, festival of air. That's, like, a, something else completely different. Like, the, to me, that has, like, a connotation of, like, you're celebrating.
0: Life. Yeah, like. Right? Oxygen. Light. Sure. Oh,
1: well, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. My first thought was, like, celebrating, like, uh, something that's, like, not a very, it's very light. It's not oh. very, a very heavy mm. Substance, so, so it kind of reminds me of like the rhetoric that we have to deal with. It's like you know a bunch of hot air. Mm. Kind of, and it's also very flammable,
0: mm. so like it's
1: kind of you have it, all
0: these negative <laughs> associations.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that's
0: <laughs> no, fine. And you
1: can that like it's just like ready right to burst a flame. Yeah, yeah. But, it, um, but it's first of all that there's something mm-hmm. like inherently that you need to celebrate. about. So I just like had a lot of interesting meaning for me that it, like made me think about. Another,
0: uh, that's another interesting. They use translate. They use translations as a jumping off. Yeah. Ball. Yeah. Hmm, I like I think that's really a beautiful idea yeah. how have your poems been received in Toronto what is a poetry scene like in so, Toronto
1: that's a complicated <laughs> question again. so so my most recent return to writing poetry again I don't think it happened in Toronto I think it happened in London Ontario because that's where the city I'm doing my psychiatry residency in right now so when I was in Toronto doing my undergraduate work I didn't really write. Or engage, like, I I was too, (laughs) this sounds terrible, but I was too focused on trying to get into medical school. I don't know, I know,
0: it's hard to get in medical school. But, uh,
1: yeah, I just didn't feel like I had any breathing room, so it was probably within the the last, yeah, like 20 like, in medical school, I wrote a couple poems, but again, they were in Kingston. I never read them publicly in Kingston. It was just, like, I, I guess the nature of, like, the hermit in the, 20, <laughs> the 21st century. I, I would send them off to some, like, magazines or something, but I didn't. I never made, like, a you know,
0: public readings, or yeah. something.
1: Like, most recent... So, I don't really know the, po- the Toronto poetry scene very well because I've also been away from Toronto for the last, like, seven years doing, like, medical training. Although my parents still live there. But, I, like, I try to go to the... Like, I try to... Like, I think attend is probably more... Uh, I've never presented, well never, but I have rarely presented my work in like, the, I guess, the established whatever poetry things you do. But I, I'm happy being like a viewer and a participant like in that sense. So like in London is where I've written most of my poetry. And then that scene is quite small and also quite white and I have gone to a couple of the public readings by people visiting poets and stuff. And I'm not sure if I'm like always comfortable with, with that kind mm. of space. And I feel like people have written about this in other essays probably elsewhere better than I'm gonna articulate it now. But it just feels like when you go into these spaces you have to make do a lot of work to like create space for yourself and so yeah. I'm not ready to do that psychological work. I'd rather just stay home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean every time you have to enter that space it's traumatic. Yeah.
1: Um, but and it's, it's, it's such an interesting contrast for me or like for me to be able to say it almost sounds arrogant because I know like I have a lot of privilege already like over a lot of other people that might exist in those spaces and be like traumatized more by those spaces. But it doesn't make me like immune or like... Yeah.
0: um have well, been here, right? Invincible. Kathy? <laughs> yeah. Being exactly. referred to as Kathy or Cindy yeah, or just, Melanie or... Yeah,
1: that, that's... yeah. Before I answer the question about uh, Toronto and growing up, I feel like I have never, I haven't always been able to talk about these things. I'm still growing, like that kind of like critical language, and I wish I was like better at it or like younger when I learned how to be more kind and. You
0: know <laughs> Well, you know I always say like I think this language of how to navigate white spaces is a is a language that you spend your life learning. Mm-hmm. You know, and right. I think it's never too late but I you know I always say or someone said like you know everyone kind of sucks talking about it (laughs) right and so but the only thing you can do is try to engage with it and practice so that you're not you're not bad at it
1: right for sure for sure like I it for it has to, it forces you to like examine the parts of yourself that you think you are immune to like yeah. that you could even being a person of color that you could perpetuate a lot of these systemic oppressions well yeah i mean it's all privileges. it's all
0: intersectional and <laughs> there's different levels of there's class yeah. there's race there's gender there's right, colorism
1: exactly. so yeah also like i've learned a lot just like listening and engage trying to how other scholars or in this yeah. area like talk about it like it So, like, again, like, constantly, like, a work in progress about how to engage with it more fully, like, for my own, myself. Yeah. But I guess this is a good segue to, like, the, like, growing up in Canada question, because... I think who was I think it was Melanie, like one of the other artists here. I think she asked me and Hannah because we're both from Canada. (laughs) I think the question was, "Oh, so like in the states, we really think like freedom is like our characteristic,
0: yeah,
1: um, like national identity, like for better or for worse." Um, So, like, what is the and money? And money. This is true. Um, So, what is the national kind of like thing in Canada? So, like, (laughs) Hannah and me kind of like looked at each other. And I think, like, what I said something was along, like, I don't know if you can call it, like, a central identity, but is it maybe, like, a central delusion? Like, something that we all believe in, but might not be quite true? I don't want to speak to, like, all Canadians, but maybe just an observation that definitely a lot of people in Canada compare themselves to, like, the States. And it's always, like, from a position of moral superiority. Like, oh, we are Canada because we are better than the States.
0: Oh, okay. How how is Canada better than the States?
1: (laughs) Uh, So in the themes of this podcast, like we yeah, we're so much better at talking and dealing with race. Uh-huh. Uh, we're so much more fair and equitable to our minorities. Yeah. We don't have guns, which you know well, that's
0: true. Probably
1: right? <laughs> slightly more true. And or it's harder like, to
0: get guns. Yeah, it's hard probably. to get guns.
1: We don't deal with racism anymore because we don't see
0: color. Yeah.
1: Like which is yeah, I anyway, know that's problematic in itself. But it's definitely kind of like a blind. We've pulled over like our and definitely if you, like, pass as white or if you in a privileged position, you can definitely say, like, oh, like, I don't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. Yeah. Or it doesn't happen to me, therefore it doesn't exist. Yeah. But if anything, like, in the last five years the politics, the rhetoric around election campaigns, you can definitely see, like, the same structural balances, like, are definitely not, like, we are definitely not better yeah. than, like... Uh, are yeah, there any neighbors. specific
0: examples that you um, you can think of?
1: I guess the one that comes to mind is, like, the it always, like, <laughs> it makes me so angry that, like, the rhetoric around indigenous communities, so, like, every election campaign, like, the campaign leaders will be, like, it's the kind of rhetoric, like, I hate the most. Like, it sounds, like, really good to, like, every person that, like, is not... Let like, us
0: honor the land of the people that we yeah. killed and they're not here so we can say we honor Basically, them. And then, yeah. like,
1: everyone that's not, like, not examine it critically, but like, wow, they're doing so well. And then if you think about it or you critically, or you look at any like indigenous activists and advocates and what they're saying, you can see that there's definitely like a big gap gap between like conscious, conscious, like action. Like there's no action driven, like they can, and I'm a poet, I love words, but like, no, you need to do something. This is not how, (laughs) this is not how it works. Like Flint, Michigan is obviously like probably the best or most notorious, unfortunately, like of the rhetoric in the US about like drinking water. But we have like the same thing on our indigenous like, communities. Like, yeah. Boiling water advisories, all that stuff. And like it and it's boggles my mind that like I think one time, not recently, but I think I talked to tried to t- engage in a conversation about that with one of my colleagues that was I guess we were in university like college at the time. This is in London or um, in, to- in Toronto? In Toronto. Okay. And just like at that point, I think I was still trying to, like, learn to, like, talk about these kind of things, like, and, like, express, like, my...
0: Frustrations, uh, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but I think, I don't want to blame them, but the, I think their response was just, like, but they don't pay taxes or something. Like, there's yeah. something, like, yeah. that uh, it just, like, boggled my mind, like, the the degree to which we can, like, pull that veil over yeah. our eyes if we don't live in these communities, we don't come from these communities. Yeah. Like, why don't they move? I don't think this is... it yeah. And I don't think I had a good enough response to it. Like that day, I just I was just like speechless. Well, it's yeah, yeah. It's sometimes <laughs> like you're,
0: you're just in complete shock at, um, at something. Yeah, you can't. You're yeah.
1: But again, it's an ongoing process to be able to yeah talk about it better and like respond better to when you're like your friends kind of say that kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah,
0: and but Toronto's overall was probably it's even, Toronto, right? This is Toronto yeah, supposed yeah. to be
1: like what utopia? It's supposed
0: <laughs> to be a melting pot, right?
1: Yeah. But I guess it comes back to the idea of like Asian Americans um, or Asian like, uh, Canadians, yeah, Asian Canadians. But like the, the racial discourse, and I confess, I don't I haven't read like too many. I'm not like a scholar in this area, but like the nature of like diaspora implies that like all of our experiences are different. Like so, my I don't assume that like my immigration experiences were were similar or at all like look like or resemble other people's personal journeys into Canada. But I will say that, of course, like for, like me at least, learned a lot from like how to talk about like that critical race language from like the discourse, from the Asian American <laughs>
0: discourse. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so it's, I think it goes both ways. So, but then like the idea, like the tension is definitely there. Like Asian American, Asian Canadian, it erases a lot of that. Difference. The, 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 yeah, the differences.
0: I mean, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this a lot, especially when I was in Germany, just like the dialogue of a lot of these postcolonial studies comes from a very English centric history, and more specifically, American and British. I've noticed critical theory,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that then centers it. But I don't know about how that relates to Canada, because Canada also is English speaking. But I don't know if you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I exactly. And I like in my work, I definitely don't attempt to like answer or try to. Like at all represent like, or like the burden of like minority representation. Like no, all, no, well, well, you
0: shouldn't. <laughs> right. You shouldn't. It's. But I
1: definitely trying to ask like the questions that I yeah. feel like are relevant and explore them in the ways, not within like critical discourse, but within poetry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that feels like necessary and critical like yeah. at this time, and yeah. it's the best I can do. Like the yeah. the narcissism, but also the doubt, <laughs> both.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about?
1: Mm. Uh, did you want me to read a poem?
0: You want to read a poem?
1: Uh, I could if you wanted me to end off that led. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I thought I would read the poem that I was talking about, the one uh, that I was struggling with, with verbs. Mm. Um, So it's kind of a Bercherelle. Bercherelle. Mm. So it's a, a book of verbs, conjugated verbs. Mostly someone told me that only like, in Quebec they have it. But it's basically a, a book, and it tells you how to conjugate all the verbs.
0: What, what language? French. Oh, uh, okay.
1: Yeah, in Quebec. Um, Do so you speak it, French? I learned a lot of it when I was like, in the Canadian public school system. Okay. Yeah. So it's called Bercherelle. To be. Present. I am. You are. Past. They knew, future, we will remember. Conditional, in some cases to refuse metaphor is nothing lesser, modified by barely, used by poets estuaries, shorelines, teenage hamlet. (laughs) To swell, present tense. I intend, you attend, past, they filled, future, we will fulfill, conditional. If a cavity swells, who is poorer? Modified by slowly, used by inflammatory cytokines, pop chorus tied in your hometown. To reside, present. I move in. You situate, past. They lived future, we will translate. Conditional, with precise enough instruments, uprooting plantago can become a contest, modified by, permanently, used by, things that run 24-7.
0: Can you read that poem in multiple different directions since it's in a box?
1: Yeah, so...
0: You, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: like, so the, the verbs are in across the top. So to be, to swell, to reside. And then down the... the
0: Declinations.
1: Uh, it's like past, present, yeah. uh, present, past, future, conditional, modified by, used by. So I think it would be also interesting if you read them. I read that one vertically, like going down yeah. the verb. Which but is
0: also how you read in Chinese.
1: Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, but that's,
0: right, that's <laughs> just, okay, fine. Maybe <laughs> that, that's not. Good, maybe that's maybe good. maybe not. I like that. <laughs>
1: so, but I think if you read it, yeah, across too, it'd be interesting because you could read like all the present tenses, the conditional tenses. Originally, I had like another one that was like the imperative form, but I didn't. I couldn't make it work. I mm. didn't. It was too too strong. Imperialistic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I uh, got rid of that. But again, this is a uh, a poem that I just like wrote. I, I finished rewriting like. Within the last couple of days, mm. so it, was, it might change in the future. But I thought it, it like had a lot of resonances with the stuff we were talking about in the course of our conversation. So yeah. I thought I'd read it, and uh, yeah. so thanks for help having me share
0: okay. this poem. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. If you were to get, would you be interested in t- getting into teaching for poetry or being full time, or do you always see it living coexisting with your psychiatry practice?
1: That's. Um, I think that's that's like a question that's come up in my mine a, a couple times. Um, but again, like this question is so loaded for me because so on the one hand, I have to say like it would be so interesting to like be able to teach poetry or to think about it. Like, I guess in the ideal world, like, from also, like, a sort of a biomedical background as well, I think that would be interesting, at least for me, it would be interesting to teach poetry from that perspective. But on the hand, I don't know if this is the crippling self-doubt talking about, like, um, Emily, like you don't even have any, like, formal, like, degrees in this poetry. Like, you can't just, like, make like people actually, like, they learn this at school. Like, you can't yeah. just make this shit up. <laughs> like, that part of me is yeah. the self-doubt. Um, but then th- to answer the other part of the question is, like, it always has... I think traditionally it's always... Been, or historically I should say it's been seen as a kind of uh, like guess a compromise what we talked about earlier like not being able to like invest fully in your art somehow as if it makes you like less of an artist but maybe it just reflects that you didn't you know have that much of a privileged abandon to be like I'll be the first immigrant daughter of my family and I'm going to go into the arts Um, so I of course like not to demean that people who have done that and like props to the people who have been able to to go like fully into that but such a Privilege, but also, to be able to practice medicine to yeah. do psychiatry, not to say that's like always wonderful and like stress free or anything like that, but I wish there were more intersectional spaces between these two parts. <laughs> so maybe like who who knows? We'll, we'll see. Yeah. But definitely not out of the question. I definitely, if anything, from these last two weeks, I want to be able to like
0: develop <laughs> more time, dream
1: a bit more aggressively, maybe way to talk about it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you want to do any plugs?
1: Nope, no. I don't have so, a website. Um, you have Twitter. <laughs> I have a Twitter, yeah. What's your Twitter account? Uh, so the, the Twitter handle is at YYEmilyLiu. What's
0: uh, YY? YY is... <laughs> your Chinese name?
1: name? Yeah, so it's my Chinese name. So it's a very funny story. So my Chinese name is uh-huh. Uh So the first initials are Y and Y. So you know how other cool poets or <laughs> uh, Asian Canadians, Asian Americans, they always like... Uh, the, sorry, the English name and then like two, like their Chinese their initials. Kids. So uh, like it doesn't work for me because it'd be like Emily. <laughs>
0: I think that's cool.
1: Uh, that so, actually, I
0: think that'd be, I think you should just take off your last name and just be like Emily YY.
1: It'd be like Emily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think c- that
0: should be your pen name.
1: Okay. Emily. <laughs> I'll think about that represents <laughs> my <laughs> image. <laughs> but I'll consider it yeah I have a chat book out Baseline Press a bit again like poets like not asking for a lot of you know it's not very dramatic or websites and they don't it's not like an industry or anything so but yeah, always happy to share poetry and hear that poetry yeah
0: cool alright is there anything else?
1: no thanks so much for having me
0: oh thanks so much for talking Emily I'm really happy that we chatted yeah that was a good interview Thanks. All right. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, z wan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Under the handle Seeing Color Pot. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a 5-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.